Welcome to another episode of From Another Zero. Thank you for listening to the podcast on your favorite platform. And thank you for watching us on YouTube as well. If you like what you hear and like what you see, depending on your tastes, please share and help us grow. Follow us on our social media if you don't follow us already at from another zero zero with number on Facebook and Instagram and search for us from another zero on YouTube. And this started out as a blog from another zero.com zero with number. I am Alejandra Enciso Dardashti and I am very happy as with every episode. I know I say the same thing every time. But today I have arts critic Jose Solis based in New York City. Just a wonderful conversation about theater shows, the show experience, languages, not much of a barrier. <laughs> languages not being that much of a barrier and topics on the table right now with this reset uh, that the pandemic has brought to the performing arts and audiences and color and racism. So uh, it's a wonderful conversation and happy to be sharing it. This is from Another Zero. Here we go. Jose Solis, welcome. How are you? Welcome to From Another Zero. Gracias, Alejandra. I love your Mexicana t-shirt. Oh, yes. I love it. Well, I know that you're like the t-shirt and baseball cap king. So, you know, I have to be up to par, obviously. <laughs> yes, I love it. I try to. I'm very flattered. Sport it everywhere I go. But, you know, sometimes people are weird, but eh, whatever. I always like to say I love having people uh, in interviewing all these wonderful people. I'm a fan of people that I interview. And you know that I am your fan. I've been following you for a while. My, my husband was asking me the other day, how did you uh, come up? How did you know about Jose? And I was like, well, it's kind of like he's always been, you know, like in the background with his stuff and in the news and the arts and the theater world news and stuff. I don't know. I'm like, I feel like I've been following him for a while and it, I, I get my feed literally now from Twitter, from him, you know, and, and that's how, that's how it's been, you know, and I'm like, and he's awesome. And he'll always would answer my tweets. And that's, that's how it was. And uh, now that I have you here in, in the podcast, it's like, yay. It's my pleasure. And I apologize to your husband. If you, you know, if he has to hear about me, because I'm like, I'm sorry. I'm sorry, Mr. Alejandra. Mr. Alejandra, I love it. He's gonna love that. So for people that don't know, you're a culture critic. Is that what you like to be referenced as in that sense? Yes, because, you know, I started off uh, wanting to be a film critic, but then eventually soon I was writing also about music. I was writing about TV. I was writing about food when I lived in Costa Rica. And then I started writing about theater. And when I moved to New York, I wrote mostly about theater. But I'm like, there must be a term that encompasses all of that, right? So, you know, like you can call me theater critic, film critic, whatever critic, but I feel like cultural critic encompasses all of those. Cause like, we cannot just be one thing these days anymore and have that, right? Like we have to yeah. be everything. We have to wear so many hats. Yep. And you started at 16, chiquito, really young. Muy chiquito. That's very annoying when I was uh -huh. a teenager. Uh -huh. <laughs> And that, yeah, because I knew you were born and raised in Honduras, but I didn't know the Costa Rica part. So you studied in Costa Rica. That's cool. And then you came to New York also. Well, you're very young still, but <clears throat> you came to New York also like young, 2012. Yeah, six. And your stuff has been everywhere. The New York Times, American Theater, TDF, Stages, Backstage. I mean, everywhere, all the major pubs. So prop. How, how has that been for you? Because uh, there's, there's a lot going on right now. So let me start by asking you, how are you doing in these crazy times, unknown times, and especially for us that we don't know? I mean, in New York, I feel the things slowly but surely, but over here in California, it's like, it's a no. So, <laughs> so maybe you can give us inspiration on that sense as well today. I have barely left my apartment and my block, I would say, since March. Mm -hmm. So I forgot what a person looks like in the flesh. <laughs> Basically, Zoom is all I have, and Skype, and FaceTime. And people think I'm joking when I tell them that my, my closest relationship right now 
is with my UPS guy. So I see him <laughs> every week and I see him up close. And he's also named Jose. So uh-huh. I'm like, Jose, if you're listening, hi, my friend. I love you. You're my human mm-hmm. right now. He says. It's, you know, it's, it's heartbreaking. I live in Brooklyn and um, I keep telling people that I miss New York, even mm-hmm. if I'm in New York. Because mm-hmm, mm-hmm. it's not, you know, it's not my city. It's not, it's like, it's Zapagada. Like the soul yeah. is a little bit like off right now. I say it's taking a nap because I believe that it will come back and it will be fabulous again. And right now it's off and it's heartbreaking every day. So I wish I had more exciting things to say about <laughs> New York compared to California, which like you in the West Coast were doing so much better. At the mm-hmm. beginning of the pandemic. And the right beginning. Now, yeah. Yeah. We continue to go on time timeouts because, you know, there's a behavior thing where, I don't know, I guess we want to be at home longer. We go out and then we need to go back in and then out. So, and they say that in October, we're going to go back in. So God only knows. God only knows. But yeah. Okay, are, your, are your skies orange right now? Yes, everybody's talking about uh, the sun being like almost red and stuff. And sadly, because of the fires too, it's, uh, yeah, it's, it's, it's really an apocalyptic time because regardless of, or, or I mean, aside of everything that's happening with COVID and deaths and all these crazy things, we have these fires and, and people losing their homes and not just being evacuated and not knowing, just coming back to nothing no car, no home, anything. It's, it's really bad. It's a nightmare and, and it keeps on going. <laughs> so it's just, I don't know, just prayer and be there for everybody and have the community come together and, and that's it and keep surviving because we are in survival mode. Also, aside from the school, sometimes I w- I'm like, oh, thank God I don't go to school. You know, because it's so bad for people that go to school and any level, but also the little ones, everybody's frustrated. Teachers are frustrated, parents, everybody's frustrated. So again, it's, it's the world of the unknown, but yeah, we have pretty views. <laughs> that's, that's something that, you know, that at least uh, we have to our advantage. We have uh, pretty, pretty cool views and, and beaches and stuff like that. So. I probably sound like your TS because like my favorite phrase and I say at least two times a day is que el señor nos haya recompensado. Yes, exactly. We have to be ready <laughs> and sin free. <laughs> or if our sins can be forgotten, you know, because forgiven because yeah, it's, it's really the unknown. And I think that prayer and whomever is uh, religious or, you know, with mindfulness, uh, one of the ways to go right now, aside from vitamins, <laughs> That's, that's the other thing. I think vitamins for the soul, that type of thing and exercising and just, I think also asking how to help. Um, I think that um, also I came out with like many other people with this podcast during the pandemic and that's how it's been growing. And uh, that's how we very slowly, slowly, but surely. And that's how we do it. We try to listen to people. We try to put a positive vibe out there, but continuing to talk about what is important and what needs to be discussed and something that also this uh, pause has put us in, especially in the performing arts world and in, in the States specifically right now. Also, Jose is a fellow podcaster. I mean, he's been doing it for a while. <laughs> uh, I have only been doing it this year. But um, yeah, you have a podcast called Token Theater Friend. I want to say before that, you're not trying, you're doing. So give yourself props because you're, you're in oh, it already. Thank you. Yeah, you know, it's very easy to get discouraged because you don't know what the outcome is going to be. And I don't have a big platform to just put something out there like a celebrity, for example, or a famous person, because I think there's a difference between celebrity and famous. It always depends, obviously, on the team effort of like your guests and what you do and sharing and all that fun stuff. But sometimes you feel that you're just talking to the wall sometimes where you don't get that feedback that you need. Like, did you like it? Did you didn't? Like, like, can you tell me 
how I can make it better or why you didn't like it if you didn't like it. I mean, it's sometimes it's like radio silence, right? Or podcast silence mm -hmm. in this sense. And it's like, should I keep going or why am I doing this? But then at the same time, speaking freely about things that I consider to be important and can benefit the community, like the arts, is enough for me. Hopefully I can continue the strength and keep going and, and grow. Keep growing. Amen. <laughs> but um, I love uh, you guys' podcast also because you speak truth. <laughs> and you guys are funny too. I need to catch up though. I The last one is um, the Tony Awards one, which I love that you guys are like garbage <laughs> speaking about, about stuff, which is, that's, I think that's how it should be. And, and with that, I want to go to my first question from your tweets because they're raw and sweet at the same time is that you shared with us, first of all, when we are, uh, in the performing arts world and we don't live in New York, following someone, and I'll, I'll speak for myself, I won't speak in plural, but for me, following someone that's knowledgeable, that shares their experiences, going to New York, I mean, plays and shows that you read about is awesome because you give us that window, right? But then you started sharing experiences as like a patron, not necessarily the critic, where you would be like, this person turned and looked me up and down and said, oh, I don't think this is your seat. Or an usher was super rude and stuff like that. And then you would ask your audience, right? How can I make this better? How can I make this scene? How can I help? And then you started inviting people of color with your plus one. Uh, usually for shows, when they invite the press, usually they give you two tickets, yours and a plus one. And you would share this with your community. And then people would also be like, I want to go. I want to go. And you're like, it's, a, it's one ticket, guys. Cut me slack, right? People started also getting they were demanding, let's say, right? Uh, but I think it was a wonderful thing and a wonderful way to learn and share this knowledge. So can you tell me how all this process was for you? Because obviously I'm telling you as I lived it through a screen and see how it impacted me. So if you can share how that was with you. Yeah, of course. Thank you for bringing that up. So, you know, one of the things is that I feel like I never do enough. I feel like there's always something else that I could be doing. And I always feel powerless as one of the only, uh, you know, Latinos East Coast. And I would say like there's such a you know, few of us all over the country even wanting to do anything involved with criticism, especially in theater. I always looked around me and it was just like a sea of old white faces. And I always felt like I wasn't doing enough. I kept inviting my friends to go to shows because for me, you know, it was never about the uh, who I'm taking you to a show. It was I want to share with people. And most of my friends who always could go were white gay men. And when I go to the theater, it's the old white people and the young white gay men. Mm -hmm. So there reached a point where I was like, there must be something else that I could be doing, even if it's very small, even if it's very symbolic, I felt in many ways. I am, I don't know if it's a curse or a blessing that I trust people. I trust strangers. I believe that everyone is good deep inside. And I don't approach people wondering, oh, what do they want from me? Or how are they going to try to hurt me or harm me? which seems to be the New York way, right? Like, oh, you're a stranger, what do you want? Exactly. Uh, and I, yeah, and I, I, never, I never really understood that. In fact, I think that once you're immersed in the city, you end up discovering that this city is just like a huge, they call it the Big Apple, but it's a huge beating heart and people love each other. Everyone's just busy and everyone's kind of like an asshole at times, but everyone just like, you know, there's nothing more beautiful than seeing New Yorkers get together to try to help someone. And I, have, I see that every day. Well, I used to when I was outside, right? You would see people. Even right now, I mean, <laughs> yeah. 
And even, even right now, just the act of staying home and wearing masks and being quarantined, not everyone's doing it, obviously, but for the most part, the city united and we banded to make that happen. So in my own very small way, because I love New York so much, I wanted to find a way to contribute to New York. And what is more New York than sharing with the total stranger? you know, giving them advice to what train to take, what subway stuff to get up at, like where to get the pizza, don't go here because they have, you know, like roaches, all that stuff. Like we love doing that. And like you mentioned, like I wanted to do more for my community specifically. So I went on Twitter, which is where I meet people and not meet people like socially, but when I talk to people, where I feel like I'm in dialogue with people like you across the country and people all over the world. So I went on Twitter and I was like, this might be, crazy and people are going to think that I'm trying to scam them or something, but let's try this. And in March 2018, I went on Twitter and for the first time I offered my plus one to a complete stranger. Mm -hmm. And two and a half years later, obviously there's not really much going on right now in terms of tickets and theater, but for the two and a half years that I've been doing it, I've met hundreds of strangers who at first are like hesitant, like, are you sure this is true? And like, it's really cute because sometimes they're like, you know, the show's like maybe an hour, uh, current's like an hour away and people are texting me, are you sure you want to bring me? And I'm like, yes, I'm sure I want to bring you. Because for me, it's not about the socializing part. Like, in fact, I'm extremely antisocial. And when you go to the theater, it's not like you're socializing. You used to sit next to someone yeah. and you let yourself, yes, you surrender yourself to the work in front of you. So for me, it's always been about that. And I always tell people, you don't owe me anything. Like, you don't even have to talk to me if you don't want to. Just say, hi, here's your ticket. Go see the show. And I hope it's good. So I've been very lucky and I feel very blessed that not because, you know, not because so much that I'm doing this, but because people trust me and people show up. Mm -hmm. It's been invaluable for me about this experience, to be honest. People saying yes to a complete stranger and trusting that I, that I want them there and that I want to share something with them. Yeah, and also the conversation kept going with these experiences that it's also a way of uh, democratizing, right? Uh, the arts and a ticket price because these shows are, yes, there's a rush or a lottery or some sort of dynamic where you can get discounted tickets but it's like literally winning the lottery <laughs> like the chances are especially if you're there for a couple of days it's it's not a guarantee and then it's like when am I going to come back or you know people that live there but don't have the means it's really 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 expensive and uh, that's another conversation that has been going on right now and that's set on the table with, again, this reset, let's call it, and with Dear White American Theater, right? That this is a white thing, that this is also, and not to make it general, you know, one color or the other, but for us, it's a little more difficult to try to combine everything on our day-to-day -day and include tickets, show tickets, right? And then people also when they don't see anybody like themselves, it's not just the economic issue, it's also an issue of representation where you say, I don't see anybody like myself at the theater. I don't see anybody like myself on stage. Why should I go, right? That was, that was another thing that I think you, you, you lit the match on that, right? I, that's never really my intention, but I, really don't like injustice. And for instance, I think about my mom. My mom, uh, my mom doesn't speak English. Like my mom, for instance, can't read my work. My mom doesn't, can't listen to my podcast. She can watch my interviews. She doesn't understand what I'm saying, literally. But my mom raised me on Madonna and ABBA. And she would, you know, like just dance to them and like not really know what they were singing. But that's the music that I, like, that I grew up with. So my mom, you know, art is so beautiful that it transcends language. And sometimes, obviously, you know, it helps if it's like some like play, it's like a junior Neil or whatever play, like it helps to understand what they're saying. But my point is that like when my mom comes to America, for instance, to visit, 
she will go to movies and she will go to the theater and she doesn't need to even understand what they're saying she just needs to feel welcome and like if the art is good and if the art is uh accessible and if the art is open-hearted people get it mm -hmm. so it makes me really angry for instance that you know you don't see broadway or off broadway ads uh for latino audiences mm -hmm. like you know where's my you know not that i want this necessarily it's just an example but where's my uh wicked ad in Univision or Telemundo? Where's my ad for, you know, the Temptations musical, for Waitress, for Hamilton even? Where are these ads in Spanish inviting people, telling them that language should not be a barrier, but that, you know, the music, the celebration, being community is part of that. So where is all that? Uh, we don't have that. So, you know, access in more than more ways is essential, especially when it comes to welcoming people. Like, I don't want to be somewhere where I'm not wanted. Yeah, and it, uh, I love that you mentioned this, uh, that you're pointing this out, because I started working with, because as a consultant, uh, with Broadway in San Diego uh, in 2010. In 2010, and you're right. We, as a team, started trying to open the doors because... San Diego is a border, it overlaps two countries, Tijuana is next door, but it's not just Tijuana, it's the other cities that are there, that's Ensenada, Mexicali, that people, you would see it all the time. If there was like a U2 concert, you know, the Rolling Stones, whatever, people would cross and go, regardless of where they lived. If it was uh, Pasadena, you know, even farther that it was in San Diego or Chula Vista, that's even closer when you cross the border, you would see half a TJ there, right? Half a Tijuana there. And you're like, you know, and people would say, oh my God, because of the buy tickets with time, because they sell out, people would have the time to put it on their credit card, you know, ask for money or whatever and plan it out. Who pitches in with the gas? Who gets the snacks? All those types. And it's this whole experience that's around it that's not that's aside from the show itself so what we did was trying to translate press releases get some you know radio spots in spanish out there some tv spots in spanish and even though we would get a lot of shows that blindly would say yes go ahead you know green light do whatever you need to do we would also get a lot of shows that when I get super famous, I'm going to say names. <laughs> a lot of shows that would say, oh, no, Mexicans don't go to the theater. I don't have the budget for that. Why would I invest in that? Right. And it would be such a disheartening, but also draining process to keep pushing and pushing and pushing because sometimes I would be like, I think that these people think that this is for my advantage and to bring my people over here, but it's not, you know, every show has to be talked about with everybody. Because like you said, with your mom yes. and Madonna and movies, you don't necessarily have to understand. It, it's, it's, it's the heart and the welcoming part. And then the work. Sometimes people don't want to do the work, but that would happen a lot. And then I would get asked statistics about how many people could I bring into a show? And I would be like, well, how do you determine how many people you bring to your shows? You know, how many English speakers come to your show? Oh, well, we have the statistic about the ticket sale and then who came and really put their, their behind in, on the seat. And I would be like, but how do you know that that person speaks English? Or it, maybe they speak, you know, Japanese or Chinese or another. How do you know? Oh, well, and they would go around and around. And I'm like, why are you, in order to give me a job, asking me for stuff that you can't even come up with? And it took me a long time, <laughs> a long time to land here with that. Because when they would ask me, Jose, I would be like, 
oh my God, I need to figure it out. I need to count. I need to, and I would do surveys and I would like tackle people in the theater, which is awful. I would hear people speaking Spanish. And I would just like run and be like, excuse me, did you, did you get a promotion? Did you, you know, and people would look at me like, get away from me, you weirdo. And even not speak to me in Spanish. <laughs> you know? And it was awful. It was awful. And obviously it wasn't a clean statistic. It wasn't a clean number. And, and, and it was, it was hard. It was very, very hard. I I'm, I'm happy that the team in Broadway, San Diego was always like, you do you, you keep doing you, we'll keep pushing. But it, it was very hard. It's also so ignorant to say Mexicans don't go to the theater when the Aztecs were holding outside performances in the public square before the freaking Greeks and Romans even dreamt about theater. Mm -hmm. And there is nothing more theatrical than going to a Mexican palenque and oh to listen God. to artists. Yeah, that's like nonsense. Like who says Mexican? I mean, like, I'm like, that shows that people don't know their history. Like white people learn your history. Totally. And it's also, aside from the ignorance, it's also a very basic way to look at things because they're like, well, that's not in their language, which we already discussed. It doesn't matter. Second, if, if there was a show like The Temptations, for example, they'd be like, that doesn't resonate with the Mexicans. How do you know? And why are you saying what resonates with us? And again, if you have a show like Mulan, that's the controversy right now, <laughs> right? That's the new talkie of the townie or the current talkie of the townie, that it's not for me right? Because I don't see myself there or Little Mermaid or whatever you want. And I'm always, always, always when I talk to marketers and people in the business that think that way, I'm always saying, why don't you let them decide? And if they don't like it, then we can go from there. And I can assure you that they didn't like it, not because of the topic. They didn't like it maybe because a curtain was wrong or something that doesn't even have to do with it. Every time someone tried to market a Mexican, Mexican show to me, I would be like, oh God, I'll pass. No, thank you. You know, I, I, I would be like, no, because it's probably not, first of all. And second, I mean, I'm Mexican. I can choose my own Mexican shows. I want to see something different. So why should I be the exception to other people? And I never understood why it was so hard to understand. It makes no sense. Like, you know, like I, I, I'm a champion of like, every time that I encounter theater that's not in English in New York, I'm a champion for it. I've been to, you know, theater in Italian, German, French, Japanese, Mandarin, and obviously in Spanish. And one of the biggest complaints that people have when they go to see theater in Spanish, you know, like for instance, like Repertorio Español is one of my favorite companies in New York City and they offer uh, super titles sometimes, like at the opera for like, you know, for most of the productions. Mm -hmm. And like nothing pisses me off more than hearing white people who only speak one language and barely do it, complain about, oh, the super titles weren't working. And I tell them, do you tell the same to Broadway? People go to Broadway, why don't we have the option? Broadway is so freaking expensive that every seat should have the option for you to be able to see the super title in the language that you need. Mm -hmm. Why don't we ask Broadway to do super titles in Spanish and French yeah. and German and Japanese? Why aren't we, but like, if it's an immigrant and someone who's, you know, English isn't their native language, we have to do the work, but they don't even bother. Mm -hmm. Exactly. If we have the tours and the museums are doing it, where you just put that little phone in your ear, like why, why wouldn't be, we, be able to do that. And it doesn't, I don't think, if we're doing the sign language also, and we have performances slated for that, I think the option should be that as well. At least have a little blurb or something, at least in different languages. So people could be like, oh, and have a little thread when they go and see it. Because the other thing with Broadway is that people do not go necessarily for the show. They go for the leads or to see their star or someone that they saw on TV or movies or whatever. That's, that's also the other thing. And now with social media, it's a totally different beast. You see little girls. I uh, had the fortune to go to New York before everything blew up and I wanted to meet you and I didn't get the chance to uh, personally. But uh, I went to see a Jagged Little Pill because I'm uh, crazy about Alanis Morissette. And I would see these little, these young girls, 13, 12 years old. And I'm like, I'm all conservative. I'm like, 
this show's not for you, mija. Like, this show's not for you. Like, because it's a really adult content kind of show and there's abuse and stuff like that. So I don't know. I, I was very, uh, I would guard these girls and see so many of them that I would be like, what are you doing here? The show's not for you. Again, going back to what we were talking about, people making the choices, right? But it was because so-and-so was in the show and they followed them on their Instagram or their TikTok or their Snapchat or whatever. And they didn't care. They just wanted to see that person live and get a picture with them, which is also wonderful. And then the parents can deal with the topic of the show. <laughs> but but it's it's another layer, I feel, that that that's coming into play now, that's beginning to be a part of this whole experience that's not just the stage or the work, like you yeah. said, all these other things. And I owe you a drink next time you're in New York. Oh my God, yes, yes, that, in general. That's a very American thing. People like their alcohol when they go and see plays. It's a thing. In Mexico, it, usually you don't get that, but uh, you do get your munchies and your like frappes and stuff. And there's vendors walking around the theater like ice cream, frappe. And you're like, oh my God, okay. I try to be as open as I can with everything, but uh, sometimes it's hard for me. I'm like, this is sacred. Why do we have an ice cream man inside of the theater? But again, it's their own and it's an experience and who am I, right? The other thing Jose that I loved is, or that, let me go back. Spe we're speaking of audiences and we're speaking about uh, the situation with the languages and uh, the, the lack of marketing and promotion and stuff like that for people, for example, like us, but also theater critics, right? And people who write about theater. It's also a very, first of all, male, male dominated uh, area, white, a lot, and older so we have those three it's male white and older so seeing people again like you and i writing or talking about uh, or doing a review of a xyz show is kind of like not that common and maybe i mean again you in in these big publications and your work talking for you if you do a review it's not that legit. Yeah, it's, I mean, if you think about it, the critical establishment, especially in theater, it's like when you're talking about Congress and we're talking about the Senate, it's a bunch of old white men and old white women telling people like Alexandria Ocasio-Cortez, Ilhan Omar, Ayanna Presley, and Rashida Tlaib, that they don't matter. When they're the ones doing the work, they're the ones in dialogue with the community and they're the ones who are actually aware of what's happening. So it's very, it's very, um, it's very, it's very cute in a really messed up way that this rich, uh, older white people are telling us that we don't know what's going on because they know they have the education and all of that. It's necessary to decolonize theater criticism and it's necessary to do it right now. We can no longer wait these people to educate themselves. I mean, even the good, Democrats, you know, the older good Democrats, even they are so in their own ways that we're never going to convince them that, they're, that we're their equals. So it's time to let the new take over. It's time to have the AOCs of theater criticism take over. Because, you know, it's just, it's just a fact that the older rich white people are just not cutting it anymore. Who are they talking to? I love that. It's true because just as the representation on stage and in the theater needs to happen even more, let's say, the, the, the writers and the news outlets, the ones that are surviving anyway, <laughs> need to be that way as well and keep with the times. It's very important. And with that, you started a Theater Critics of Color program. Yes. For the longest time, I've been, you know, I've been in New York City for eight years. And at least six of those years, I've been trying actively to start a workshop for uh, BIPOC critics. Mm -hmm. And, you know, for six years, I have heard people tell me, sure, that sounds lovely. And, you know, they treat it almost like it's like a make-a-wish foundation. Mm -hmm. 
and you know like oh wait, let's talk about it and people are always saying like oh at least we're having the conversation i've approached every single uh you know ngo every single critics group that you can imagine every single outlet that you can imagine to make this happen and no one ever wants to actually do it we get stuck in this like oh at least we're having the conversation thing but no one wants to see the work actually be done no one says how can i help you today so in the middle of the uh the pandemic i, I don't think i've ever talked about this publicly but when i was very little you know, and if my brothers are listening, which probably I don't, because I'm like their, you know, uncool older brother. When I was very little, when I was like nine years old and 10 years old, which is around the time when I wanted, when I knew that I wanted to be a critic, I was such a nerd, Alejandra, that you know how I spent my summer vacations from school? I would set up a little school in my house and I would make my poor brothers absorb everything that I had learned in my grade. And I was like, three grades above my next brother. So, you know, the poor things had to listen to me talk about history, talk about literature nonstop, and they hated me. And God bless them, I get it why. The funny thing about that was that soon, like my grandma's like friends started sending their grandkids to my school so I could teach them. Oh my God, to your so, school. <laughs> like in your room. Yeah. yeah. So, and what we did at the end of like the summer was that I would make them do a talent show. I was a freaking dictator in my school. So I would make the kids do a talent show where we would do crafts and all of that. So, you know, I come from a family of activists and from a family of teachers also. My mom's a teacher, my great aunt was a teacher. You know, my grandma, who is like the person that I love the most in the world was a professor also. And I love teaching. And I found my desire to do something for the world, you know, as, as, a, as, a, as a Latino immigrant, for instance, I know it sounds very selfish, but it was very hard for me to come up with the uh, measuring the risk and safety of me going to a protest, for instance. Mm -hmm. If I go to a protest, who gets arrested? Yeah. Who gets help, you know? Yep. I, I would hear about like white men who would get arrested and be out in half an hour. And then I would hear all these stories about from Latinos and black people who were like, in a jail cell for like over 24 hours. I was too terrified to go put myself at risk of that and also yep. putting other people at risk just by being there. So what I did was like, how can I help? And I decided, you know, it's about time. This thing that no one wants to help me with, you're gonna make it happen. You are going to do it again, like when I was little, from your own apartment, from your own room, I did, you know, I spent hours and hours and hours researching. I obviously had like my experience from all the years that I've been working and I developed a program. And then, like you said, where did I go to find the people? I went to Twitter. And one of the first things that I let them know was that this was exclusively for BIPOC critics and that it was very important to me to let everyone know that I don't care if you went to Harvard, I don't care if you went to an Ivy League, I don't care what your GPA is. Academia means nothing if you're going to be an arts journalist or mm -hmm. critic. It means nothing. So, you know, people would like start sending me like their cover letters and their resumes with like, you know, all like the highfalutin colleges that you can imagine. That's not what I wanted. That's not what I care. I wanted to know what was in people's hearts, why they wanted to do this. So I ended up running a pilot program that I'm still in the middle of where I ended up, you know, first I said, I'm gonna do three students. And then I was like, I'm gonna do four. I have eight and, oh, I also like committed my own mistake. Like, I don't believe in power structures, especially yeah. when it comes to education. Because at the end of the day, we all end up learning about each other. So I don't call my cohort, I don't call them students or mentees or anything like that. I came up with the name future critics. This is what we call each other, you know, like they're the future critics. So I learned from them as much as I hope they're learning from me. Because yeah. at the end of the day, criticism for me has always been that. It's a conversation. It's not a, you know, me in my high ivory tower, you know, with my gavel saying like, this place sucks, this place is amazing. <laughs> you know, Tony's for this person. That's not what criticism is. Criticism is dialogue. Mm -hmm. So I'm very grateful for Twitter because that's where I found in many ways the people like you, and the people like the cohort that, you know, of, of the BIPOC critics that, that I'm running right now. That's the people that I want to be in touch with. 
I don't care what, you know, Mr. White, old man, rich, upper west side thinks. If he's not in community, and if he's not in conversation with us, I don't care what he thinks or what he says about anything. So I'm very excited. I'm, you know, I, I, I hope that soon, maybe now that people see that it's possible that you can actually do the work, I hope, you know, I get some funding. I hope I get some help. I hope I can turn this into something bigger because right now my work as an educator, I would say, that sounds very like pretentious, but you know, <laughs> right now my work as an educator and as someone who can help people become what they haven't even been told they're allowed to dream of becoming is yeah. much more important than to, you, you know, to be writing for a newspaper, for instance, or for a magazine. Again, I, I think of myself as a little boy where I grew up in Honduras and I would look around me. I don't know how I decided that I wanted to be a critic. To be honest, I have no idea where I even found the word critic. But what I knew, especially once my career started growing and once I, you know, I went to film school in Costa Rica, once I ended up coming to New York, what I have always known in my heart is that I am not the only little kid in Honduras who wanted to be a critic. Mm -hmm. There must be someone else. And you know, at the beginning, you were talking about how you worry when you put out your podcast, who's listening, right? Mm -hmm. If there is one person listening, that's all that matters to me. And if I can touch one person today with anything I say, even if it's a joke, even if it's something that, you know, like not the, not the main point of what I'm trying to say, but if we can touch one person every day, what more can I ask for? So, well, that would place it. Sorry, I, I strayed a little bit, but that's my yeah. purpose. You know, like <laughs> I, 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 I want people to know that they can dream to be something that other people told them they can't dream about. First of all, that's what we need right now. And second, it's been a long time coming. So thank you for that. Thank you. And let's do three things. My Again, my potato brain. <laughs> my ADD is like all over the place. First, if you are listening out there and you are someone or you know someone that can fund this wonderful man's program, please do so. <laughs> We're going to put stuff on the episode notes and you know, you can reach me and I can reach him. Like it's all good. But if you are, please reach out and be vocal about it. Second, if people want to know more about this specific one that you're doing, or if a next if one is coming up next, how can they uh, keep track or know more? Well, I mean, that's the thing. Like, I have no resources. Like, I mean, I wish I had a website. I wish I had places to, yeah, again, like, I'm running this from my backyard. Although I'm in New York, so we don't have backyards or projects or anything. But, you know, I'm running this on my own. So I promise, just, just, just go on Twitter. I promise when I have some resources, it's going to be there. But for now, I don't really have a place. It's also, you know, I, although I'm the one who started this, I don't want this to be my program. I don't want this to be my thing. I'm dreaming of a program where I'm going to be able to hire BIPOC instructors to mm -hmm. teach the BIPOC future critics. I don't want them listening, you know, hearing from, from a bunch of like old white men. Like they, yeah. we need, you know, I want us to know what no one taught us, what no one told us, you know, like when no one told you Alejandra about how marketing was going to be when you mm -hmm. started in San Diego. I want people like you to talk to the critics and let them know what the world looks like for people like us. Mm -hmm. Not in some sort of like, you know, like woohoo, like porn, like tragedy kind of way, because that's not who we are. We have yeah. more joy than pain in our lives. Like, and that's what I want to transmit. I want BIPOC instructors to let them know that the world has promise, has joy, and not to train them in like white, antiquated race. Sign me up. I'm on board. <laughs> and that the other thing, yeah, because I think I, again, I admire you. I love your work. I love your social media presence. And if people want to write about theater, if BIPOC people want to write about theater and do their own thing and reviews, what would your advice be? First of all, I always tell uh, young people when I do talks in colleges and universities and schools, I always tell people, that there's this white myth that we have been told about finding our voice and discovering your voice, like you're some like Greek hero. That's a lie. You already have your voice. You don't need to find it. It's yours. You were born with it. Just use it. Open your mouth if you want to do a podcast. You know, 
photograph yourself and like put a camera, grab your phone and put a camera in front of you if you want to do a video type of review. And if you are a writer, then write. Your voice has so many outlets and so many mediums that you can use to channel. I, another of the things that I want to like completely get rid of is the idea that a critic needs to be a writer. You know, you've seen all the kids with their TikToks and Snapchats and like Queenies and all this stuff that I don't even know what it is. I love writing. I love the written work so much. I'm a huge book nerd. But who said that criticism can only be, you know, words on paper or like a, a blog post? Like that's a lie. There are people who are incredible at communicating through, through you know, like through radio, through video. Use that. So start something. I know it sounds very like, oh my God, like so many people are doing it. Who cares? Like I said, I started when I was a little kid, you know, I was like 10 years old and then I started a blog when I was 16 and I never cared who read me. I just wanted that to be out there because if it touches one person, you've done your job already. And then, you know, uh, a more practical, less idealistic advice would be go on Twitter and engage in conversation. You are not sending out edicts. You are not a Supreme Court justice. You are in conversation. If you are not in conversation with people, with artists, one of the beauties about social media is that you can talk to the artists who are joining the work. You know, they don't all reply. Some of them are very like highfalutin and very snooty, but the ones who do, that's the idea of art. That's the idea of criticism, to be in conversation. So talk to people who read you, talk to people who listen to you, talk to people who watch you, talk to the artists, engage yourself in conversation. It's time that we bring back critics into the ecosystem of theater. We are not the villains, we are part of this and they need us as much as we need them. I love it. And since we're running out of time, okay, I'm gonna like throw the last questions of, of the show, which is the, keeping on brand. What is your other zero? That's the first one. And then second and third, your mom and pop shop that you love, you want to give a shout out to and a cause. My otro zero, my other otro zero cero. is, I, I've, <laughs> I've had so many Alejandra because I, I am someone that fortunately, again, I don't know if it's a curse, you know, sometimes it's a curse, but people tell me it's a blessing. I have the ability to adapt to starting from scratch so many times over and over. I mean, I've had otroceros even in New York, where like I've had like, you know, a roommate who didn't pay rent for a year and I was paying my rent to her and she got us evicted and I was out on the street overnight. Oh my you know, God. I have things like that. Yeah, I've had things like that that I don't know how to pick one because I think I'm still waiting, not in like a masochistic way, but I'm still waiting for that other zero to come because I keep you know every time that I find another zero I overcome it and you know moving leaving my home country was another zero starting my life in Costa Rica was another zero surviving a hate crime in Costa Rica was another zero moving to New York was another zero losing the job that I had in New York was another zero so I have too many uh to uh to count even so I I, I know this is like a, a, a maybe cheating a little bit to your to your question but I've had so many that, you know, que venga el otro cero, I'm ready for it. Yeah, that's the way to go. What about your mom and pop? I adore, I mean, I love the fact that you're wearing your Mexicana shirt. It's like, I promise that we didn't like coordinate this, but one of my favorite shops in New York City is called La Sirena, Mexican folk art. It's this lovely, lovely, lovely folk art shop on Third Street in the East Village. It's one of those places where I always felt like I was a character out of a book, where like I found this place and I get lost in there for hours. They have like all the things that you can imagine of, you know, like chinas and they have uh, like the like Katrinas. They have too many things. They have Loteria cards. They have Loteria t-shirts. They have everything you can imagine. And they're always restocking. And I know, you know, during the pandemic, obviously this is a search suffering. And I know that they wanted, uh, they needed to sell more. So if you have some, you know, disposable income, which it wouldn't be disposable because Mexican art is an investment. And it's gonna make your totally. art, your house beautiful. Yeah, so go to La Sirena. And like the more you buy, the more discounts they give you. So like, you know, like now I sound like I work for them. 
but like for instance, like if you spend like over a hundred or something like that, you get like a 30% discount and things like that. They're incredible and they're on Yelp and Google them and find the website. They're incredible, incredible, incredible. And the cause that I want to support these raices, because now that I'm a plant dad, uh, you know, have, I, have you seen my plants? <laughs> I, have like, I have plants like everywhere now. Now that, now that I'm a plant dad, which is very pandemic zeitgeisty, uh, the word raíz and the word roots mean so much to me. Mm-hmm. And raíces is so incredible, you know, work for uh, refugees and immigrants coming to the United States. You know, people like me, for instance, uh, who left their home countries because it was unsafe for them to be there. So how do we end up here and we are not welcome? So mm-hmm. raíces, you know, if you can support them, follow them, if you don't have any money, amplify their message. They're doing really, really incredible work. And of course, listen to your podcast. And I mean, you're starting, but you know, you're, like I said, you're not trying, you're doing. So listen, like amplify, people need to amplify your message. People need to let the world know that you're doing work that is very important right now. So you and Raices are my, you know, the causes that I want to support right now. Oh, thank you. I greatly appreciate it. And again, everybody look at the, for the episode notes. We'll have everything linked on there. We're going to link also theater token friends to, you know, so you can listen to it as well. Cause it's wonderful just to keep up with what's happening. And then these wonderful people's point of view. I love it. I just love it. And uh, I want to thank you. I'm so excited that you made the time and the space to come on here and, and talk with us for a little bit. And I wish you the best. More arts critics of color out there to come from this. We will amplify that voice as well. You know that your, your fan is here. I, I, I cannot wait for everything else that's coming the rest of this year, what's left, and 2021. I'm really excited. Cassie, say it was a pleasure. You know, like you never take up my time. It's so crazy that in quarantine we have so many like calls and meetings scheduled. Like, if I didn't have things scheduled, I would talk to you all day long. So it's a pleasure, and you have a fan in me also. Oh, thank you so much, Jose. Well, take care, and we'll talk to each other soon. We sure will. Un beso, Alejandro. Un beso. Bye bye. Thanks again to Jose for coming on The Zero. And thank you for listening. Again, kind reminder to follow us on our social media channels from another zero, zero with number, and our blog from anotherzero.com, zero with number. Also that you can leave us a voice message on our episode. If you look at the notes, there's a link at the bottom. Just click on it and we can hear your beautiful voice and even play it on the next episode. Thank you so much for listening. Also, if you don't know already, from another zero is the alter ego in English of the podcast in Espanol, Desde Otro Cero. And we finished with that podcast first season a couple of weeks ago. If you want to go over there and listen to it, we will link it also on the notes. It's at Desde Otro Cero, zero with number as well. Remember that here, we just don't start from zero. We start from another zero. I'll catch you on the next one. Bye.